Please take your Bibles now if you would like to follow and turn to 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21 as we make our way through the end of 1 Kings considering the life and ministry of the prophet Elijah. The Elijah's actually been off scene for a chapter in chapter 20, so we're not um, looking at chapter 20 together tonight, but he comes back on the scene here in chapter 21 in what is likely a familiar story as God calls him, gives him yet another difficult mission to go confront Ahab in his sin. Uh, we're not sure what Elijah has been doing uh, since calling Elisha, um, but here he's called upon yet again to minister God's word, and uh, we're going to give our attention to that together tonight. So I will read all of 1 Kings chapter 21. There's a lot here that we're going to have to pass over quickly tonight, but let's give our careful attention once again to the reading of God's word. Now Naboth the Jezreelite had a vineyard in Jezreel beside the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. And after this, Ahab said to Naboth, Give me your vineyard, that I may have it for a vegetable garden, because it is near my house, and I will give you a better vineyard for it, or if it seems good to you, I will give you its value in money. But Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. But Jezebel, his wife, came to him and said to him, Why is your spirit so vexed that you eat no food? And he said to her, Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite and said to him, Give me your vineyard for money, or else, if it please you, I will give you another vineyard for it. And he answered, I will not give you my vineyard. And Jezebel, his wife, said to him, Do you now govern Israel? Arise and eat bread and let your heart be cheerful. I will give you the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. And she sent the letters to the elders and the leaders who lived with Naboth in his city. And she wrote in the letters, Proclaim a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people and set two worthless men opposite him and let them bring a charge against him saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. And the men of his city, the elders, and the leaders who lived in his city, did as Jezebel had sent word to them. As it was written in the letters that she had sent to them, they proclaimed a fast and set Naboth at the head of the people. And the two worthless men came in and sat opposite him. And the worthless men brought a charge against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with stones. 
Then they sent to Jezebel, saying, Naboth has been stoned. He is dead. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead, Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money, for Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab king of Israel, who is in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth, shall dogs lick your own blood. Ahab said to Elijah, Have you found me, O my enemy? He answered, I have found you, because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. Behold, I will bring disaster upon you. I will utterly burn you up and will cut off from Ahab every male, bond, or free in Israel. And I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, and like the house of Baasha, the son of Ahijah, for the anger to which you have provoked me, and because you have made Israel to sin. And of Jezebel, the Lord also said, The dogs shall eat Jezebel within the walls of Jezreel. Anyone belonging to Ahab who dies in the city, the dogs shall eat. And any one of his who dies in the open country, the birds of the heavens shall eat. There was none who sold himself to do what was evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols, as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord cast out before the people of Israel. And when Ahab heard these words, those words, he tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his flesh and fasted and lay in sackcloth and went about dejectedly. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he has humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. That's where we'll end the reading of God's word. Let's stop and pray together. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. Lord, as we have just sung, darkness is not dark to you. The night shines brightly in your view. Lord, there is nowhere we can escape from you. There is no way we can hide our sins from you. And we pray that you would enable us to see that tonight in your word. But more than that, enable us to see what is our hope, who is our hope. And so, Lord, we ask that you would give us ears to hear your word together now. We thank you for it, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ahab strolling through the vineyard of the dead Naboth, 
pretending that it's his, pretending that he's happy, trying to enjoy what he had to sulk and kill and steal to take possession of, is one of the more memorable pictures of human depravity and sin and corruption in the Bible. And it's a story that has a lot to teach you and I about the sinful human heart and the, de- the deceitfulness of sin, the just judgment of God because of sin, and therefore our need for a Savior, our need for sin's penalty to be removed through repentance and by faith in the work of Jesus Christ. This story reminds us that we must guard our hearts, that we must hear and believe God's word. We we see here the emptiness of sin and living for the self and living for this world. We see how Ahab could not hide his sin or his guilt from God, and neither can you and neither can I. And so we must acknowledge our sin and God's righteous judgment and penalty for our sin. And we must turn from it to the truth and mercy of God. We must turn to Jesus Christ in faith, who alone can remove our sin and our guilt, and give us true joy and reconciliation with God. That's what we want to see together tonight in this story. Friends, God's word proclaims to you tonight that sin does not satisfy and sin cannot be hidden from God and sin will receive the just penalty from the Lord unless you repent and cling to Jesus Christ. And so brothers and sisters, see and hear tonight that sin does not satisfy and cannot be hidden from God. And so you must repent and cling to God's mercy in Jesus Christ. Well, let's consider this story together in more depth. And I want to begin by considering sin's progression. Sin's progression. Ahab does not go and kill Naboth and take his vineyard right away. No, there's a progression to what eventually happens. His sin starts small in his heart and just in his mind and there in his room sulking all alone. It starts with desire. But one sin leads to another until soon Naboth is killed and Ahab is on his way to check out his new stolen property. This is the nature of sin. It finds small openings and it grows slowly. Slowly it progresses and builds. And Ahab's sin here in chapter 21 really grows out of his unrepentant sin in chapter 20. We didn't read that tonight. But this is after God has graciously given Israel victory over Syria. And he actually promised that through a prophet, a different prophet. But Ahab sees that gracious victory God gives And yet he does not know God, he doesn't put his trust in God, he doesn't repent. And then in a later battle, after another victory from God, graciously given, Ahab makes a covenant with Ben-Hadad and lets him go free. 
And so God sends yet another unnamed but faithful prophet to say to Ahab, because you let go out of your hand the man whom I had devoted to destruction, your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. And then we read of the response to that word. This is how chapter 20 concludes. Then the king of Israel went to his house, vexed and sullen, and came to Samaria. Ahab had not acknowledged God and God's grace. He had disobeyed him. And when God sends a prophet and says, you are wrong and you will be punished, Ahab does not admit wrong. He doesn't repent. He sulks. He feels sorry for himself. And that really is the background. That's what leads to this sin here. Ahab begins to seek satisfaction and comfort in things, in earthly wealth and acquisitions which do not satisfy and do not answer human sin and guilt. But this is what our sinful hearts do. This is our sinful nature. We try to appease guilt and sorrow by the things of this world, by loving our self and, and making the self an idol. And so Ahab is, is doing this there as he sulks, and he begins to dream of the neighboring vineyard that belongs to Naboth. And he thinks to himself, if I could just have that, it would be perfect. Uh, I could set up a garden there. It would be right next door. Uh, that would make me feel better. Uh, that'll help me ignore God's word and the, the guilt that I feel because of my sin. And so Ahab begins to covet Naboth's vineyard, even though he had so much, even though he didn't need anything else. But he's listening to the lies of his heart that this really should be his. And, and if he has it, it'll make him happy. And so he, he acts on this desire and he actually makes a, a fair market value offer to Naboth, or even be, a, a better vineyard. But Naboth refuses. Look at verse 3. Naboth is not having it. Naboth said to Ahab, The Lord forbid, the Lord forbid, that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. Naboth, even though we know very little about him, he seems to be a God-fearing man. And there is such a striking contrast between him and Ahab. Uh, perhaps Naboth is one of the 7,000 who has not bowed his knee to Baal. But think about how vastly different Naboth and Ahab are. Naboth thinks of God and his law, which forbids the sale of his inheritance. You could look at Leviticus 25, verse 23 and following to see that. He knew that this land was ultimately God's, and he was just a steward of it. Uh, he didn't have the freedom to do whatever he wanted. Uh, Naboth is not intimidated by power. Uh, he's not persuaded by money or the offer of something better. He seems to know that happiness does not come from earthly possessions, but from loving and serving and obeying God. But Ahab on the other hand, cares not for God, cares not for God's word, his law, his honor. Ahab has squandered his inheritance. Uh, he's been called to be a steward of Israel, a king, and he's squandered that inheritance 
rather than being faithful with it as Naboth was with his small plot of land. And I think that's part of the reason this contrast, part of the reason why God confronts this sin out of all the others that he could have confronted in Ahab's life. I think it's also because in this story and in the actions of Ahab and those around him, so many of God's commandments are just blatantly broken. Let me just mention a few. Ahab, we've already seen this. He has coveted what belongs to his neighbor. He's broken the first two commandments by making himself and Naboth's vineyard an idol. Uh, we see that Jezebel asks men to lie to, ba- to bear false witness, and they do. Uh, the fifth commandment is broken here not by a lack of respect of authority, but by the abuse of authority and power. And then, of course, there is outright murder, killing. And so sin, blatant disregard for God and his law, lawlessness, it just progresses and spreads. It starts small and hidden. It starts in the heart, but it's never identified as sin. It's never identified as love of self and and actually hatred of God and neighbor. It's never repented of. It's coddled and affirmed and excused. And it just leads to more sin. And it affects others. And brothers and sisters, sin always does this. It either harms others or it draws them in into the sin. Ahab's sin draws in Jezebel and Jezebel then draws in these worthless men and even the elders of the city. And so you see here in this story even the the depravity and evil in the community, the lawlessness in Israel. They should have refused to carry out Jezebel's corrupt plan. And so this story is not just about the sin of Ahab and Jezebel. It highlights the sin in Israel as well. Friends, do you see how sin so easily spirals and spreads and grows when it is not repented of? This shows us the importance of having godly people around you, godly spouses. Ahab did not have that. Godly friends. People who will say to you, are you doing what's right? I think you're wrong. I think your heart is wrong. No one ever did that for Ahab, any part of the story. But before we move on, I want you to also consider Naboth. Naboth does what is right in God's eyes, but he pays for it. Uh, he, He receives great wickedness. He suffers and dies. And this is a sad and striking picture and reminder of how in this life the righteous often suffer. The righteous are often harmed even for doing that which is right and it seems upside down and unfair. And yet God knows and God sees and God will punish evil. He will vindicate Naboth. And if Naboth did in fact have a true faith in God, as it would seem as we read about him here, Naboth is no longer suffering. Naboth has something far greater than an earthly vineyard. He has an eternal inheritance that can never be taken away. 
And Naboth is actually a very small, early glimpse, a picture of Jesus. Think about it. Jesus was also falsely accused and murdered. And brothers and sisters, because of this, we need to be ready for such treatment in this world. This is how Jesus was treated. This is how we see the righteous treated so often in Scripture. Righteousness... And obedience to God doesn't always lead to riches and honor in this life. Sometimes it leads to suffering and loss. But sin, on the other hand, sin can get you some pretty nice things in this world. Look at Ahab in verse 15 and 16. As soon as Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned and was dead... Jezebel said to Ahab, Arise, take possession of the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite, which he refused to give you for money. For Naboth is not alive but dead. And as soon as Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, Ahab arose to go down to the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite to take possession of it. So Naboth actually, Ahab actually gets the vineyard that he really, really wanted. And yet this sin and getting what he wants does not satisfy. This does not give true happiness. It just leads to more sin. It brings harm to Ahab and those around him and many others. It renders him guilty and repulsive. It shows him to be weak and childish and wicked. And brothers and sisters, this, this, the reality of this sin here is a call for each of us to be on guard against sin. To be aware of the deceitfulness in our own hearts. To know ourselves and know our weaknesses. To surround ourselves with godly friends who will have the courage to ask or or confront us in love. It's a reminder that we must live by God's word in this world with courage. We must be humble lest we fall. We must fight and kill sin, or it's going to fight and and kill us and others. But the good news is that God saves sinners. God sanctifies sinners. Sin does not have to progress and entangle and destroy. By God's grace, it can be overcome and forgiven and defeated. And yet when sin is not dealt with by God's means and God's mercy... It will be dealt with by his penalty. It will be punished. And I want us to consider that second tonight, sin's penalty. Sin's penalty. No sooner does Ahab take that vineyard for himself than God's word comes to Elijah to send him to confront Ahab and pronounce his penalty. Listen again with me to verse 17 and following. Right after Ahab gets the vineyard, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who was in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he has gone to take possession. And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, Have you killed and also taken possession? And you shall say to him, Thus says the Lord, In the place where dogs licked up the blood of Naboth shall dogs lick up your own blood blood. Ahab and Jezebel's plot may have escaped man's notice, 
but it has not escaped God's. You cannot hide sin from God. No matter how clever or how hidden you think it is, no matter how you may justify or excuse it, God knows right and wrong. He knows our hearts and our actions. He brings justice on the wrongdoer. And we see here once again God's word come to Elijah and call him to get up and to go on a dangerous mission. Go to the king, the king who hates you, whose wife, the the queen, wants you dead. Confront him for his sin and pronounce my judgment on him. Say to him, thus says the Lord. This is exactly what Elijah does. Without delay, with great courage and faith, he walks in the word of God. He speaks truth to power. He proclaims God's word even though it brings condemnation and it may bring him harm. And yet we read that actually Elijah is not harmed. He's protected. And brothers and sisters, as we see once again the faith and courage of Elijah, we too must follow God's word in faith. We must call sin what it is. We have to speak of God's just judgment without fear of man. We need to do this first in our own lives, to ourselves, in our own hearts. We need those around us doing this for us. But we at times need to do this for our friends and our family, for brothers and sisters in in Christ, in love and humility. And we need to speak the truth of sin and judgment to our world. We need to have the courage to say, thus says the Lord. Well, as Elijah obeys and proclaims God's word to Ahab, we see that the penalty he proclaims is fierce. And it is humiliating for this wicked king. Dogs, an unclean animal, dogs licking up his blood, the very symbol of life. Here's the highest man who will meet now the lowest end. And this shows us something of the intensity of God's righteous anger. His holiness, how he abhors evil. And he cannot dwell with it. He cannot let it go unpunished. But in verse 20, Ahab responds sadly as we might expect when he hears God's word. His response is, have you found me, my enemy? Have you found me, my enemy? He attacks the messenger of God's word. The irony, of course, is that Elijah's not the enemy. And this is what sin does. It shifts the blame. It always misidentifies the enemy. Everyone else is to blame. Everyone else is at fault. It's never my sin. It's never the self. The irony is Ahab is the actual enemy. Ahab's own sin, his selfish, deceiving heart, his wife Jezebel, his false god Baal. These are the true enemies. Elijah's actually his friend. Elijah's doing the only thing that can help Ahab right now. He loves him enough to speak the truth and warn him. And his response is striking. I have found you. I have found you. And it's really God that's found him. 
I have found you because you have sold yourself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord. And we should linger on those words. You've done evil in the sight of the Lord and I have found you. Those are words that every sinner, every person who does not repent of sin will hear those words. Everyone who tries to hide or to excuse sin, God will find you. And he will find your sin. And he will do what is right and just. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. You may get a vineyard in this life. You may think that you will get away with it, but you will not get away from God. You will not get away with your sin. You will answer to your creator and to the holy God. Now you may hear that and think, but I'm not a power-grabbing, murdering king. I'm a good person. I treat others well. I leave them alone and let them do their lives. But the Bible says that we are all sinners and we all fall short of God's glory and His standard. And God will say to you someday, I have found you and you have done evil in my sight. All are guilty and will receive God's just penalty. Well, Elijah goes on to say that this will mean absolute disaster for Ahab. He elaborates on the penalty. Uh, He and his line, his house will be completely cut off. And then he talks about Jezebel. Her penalty will be even more severe. Dogs will not lick up her blood. Dogs will eat her. And in case you think this is overly severe or or harsh or barbaric, there's a statement of the depths of Ahab's evil which explains some of the depth and extent of this penalty. Look at verse 25 and 26. There was none who sold himself to do what is evil in the sight of the Lord like Ahab, whom Jezebel his wife incited. He acted very abominably in going after idols as the Amorites had done, whom the Lord had cast out before the people of Israel. You remember Elijah's despair just a few chapters ago? His despair at the, the immense evil and idolatry in Israel, at Ahab and, and Israel's unrepentance, at their, the hardness of heart when they had seen the identity and, and existence and power of God. Well, here we see God sees and God knows. God is not silent. He is not passive. He will punish evil. He will not let idolatry continue. He will defend the helpless and the oppressed. He is God. He is king, not man, not Ahab. And he speaks and he brings justice. And this is all such a powerful illustration and reminder that sin does not reward. Sin does not satisfy. It, it, it brings God's notice and his righteous anger and his just penalty. And not just for evil, horrible kings and murderers, but for all people who do not repent of their sins. This penalty will come for all who die in their sins, who ignore God's word. And, and call God and his word and his followers the enemy. And again, we may be shocked by the severity of this penalty. 
by the, the dogs and the blood and the gore. But friends, this is nothing compared to the eternal penalty that God will pour out on sinners who do not repent. This is just a mere glimpse of the severity and finality of God's eternal penalty for sin. The eternal penalty is far worse. It's far more humiliating. And yet it is just, and it is right, and it is what sin deserves against the holy God. But that leads us then to consider the remedy. Is there hope? Is God also merciful? Does he pour out his penalty on all? Is there good news? And you know the answer to that if you have heard God's word before. The answer is yes. There is a propitiation for sin. And so let's consider that third and finally tonight. Sin's propitiation. God is good and just. He cannot let the guilty go unpunished. He will carry out his penalty on the wicked. But God is also merciful. He's patient. He's slow to anger. And we see that in this story. And we see that in all of God's word that God also forgives sins. That God does not pour out his penalty on all, but he forgives a great multitude of sinners. But he does that not just by ignoring the sin. By looking the other way, by acting as though it didn't happen, or it's, it's really not that bad, or it can be simply forgotten. He does it by way of sacrifice, by way of payment for those sins, by upholding both his justice and his mercy. He does it by way of his son, Jesus Christ. And we're going to get there, but first I want you to look at the final verses in this story. Ahab's initial response to God's word of judgment is combative. Have you found me, my enemy? But then we actually read in verse 27 that Ahab comes to express at least some level of remorse and sorrow. He tears his clothes, he fasts, he put on, puts on sackcloth and ashes. And then listen to how God responds to this. Verse 28 and following. And the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Have you seen how Ahab has humbled himself before me? Because he's humbled himself before me, I will not bring the disaster in his days. But in his son's days, I will bring the disaster upon his house. God sees Ahab finally respond, at least in some way, humbling himself before him. And God uses this as an opportunity To show his patience and mercy. He says, because of that, I will delay the disaster upon his house. Now this this raises some questions. Is Ahab saved at this point? Is he truly sorry and repentant and, and truly humbled to the core of his being? Well, we're not given a lot of details here. We know that at least he expressed outward sorrow over sin. At least he showed some humility before the Lord. But I think this actually falls short of true repentance. It falls short of the true repentance of the heart that then turns to the Lord in faith. I think this is outward, temporary remorse. A partial humbling that doesn't lead to true and lasting repentance. 
If you look at Ahab in the very next chapter, before he dies in battle and the dogs lick up his blood from his chariot, just as was promised, he has the same hard heart towards God's word, towards God's prophet, Micaiah. He doesn't, doesn't even mention Elijah or call for Elijah. We don't read that he gave back the vineyard. We don't read that he confronted Jezebel for her sin. We don't really read of any lasting change in this man. Now God certainly could have worked true repentance in Ahab. And perhaps he did, even as he was there dying on the battlefield. God absolutely can save sinners. He could have saved Ahab. But he's actually using Ahab and the details we have about him. He's using his outward humility. This partial response of of being humbled at God's word as an opportunity to show his gracious, merciful character. To call Ahab to fuller, true repentance. To show him that he's patient and merciful. But also to show his people. To show all who would read this story. To to show you tonight that there is a way to deal with sin's guilt and penalty. There is mercy in God. There is a way to taste the mercy of God and be freed from sin's penalty through genuine, full repentance, through true sorrow and humility, through going all in on repentance and doing what Ahab does outwardly, inwardly in our hearts and turning to God in faith. Because God would one day, and he has, send his son. God would one day send his son who would live a perfect, sinless life and would take the sin and the guilt and the penalty of repentant sinners in their place. God would execute his penalty on Jesus on the cross so that he could fulfill justice against sin, but also show mercy to sinners and save all who would repent of their sins and cling to his mercy and trust in the Savior, Jesus. The only way any sinner, Ahab, you or me, the only way we can be right with God and not face his just penalty is for propitiation to take place. And kids, that's a big word, but propitiation means God's just anger His righteous penalty towards sin is removed. It's placed on someone else in your place. It's removed not by ignoring the sin or looking the other way. It's removed by payment. God's righteous anger is appeased by the death of Christ. The offense of our sin against God is taken away. So God can forgive us and love us and give us blessing instead of penalty. Give us life in heaven instead of hell. Propitiation is the way God turns his wrath and penalty away from us by the gift of his son. By the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, paying that penalty for us. All of us deserve A penalty for our sins. We may not do what Ahab does, but we are sinners before God. We all deserve a just penalty from our creator. We deserve punishment. We deserve hell. 
which is a terrifying but true reality. But all of you can escape that penalty. Not by a partial sorrow for sin. Not by just outward humility. Not by religious exercises like Ahab. But by truly repenting of your sin. Admitting that you are wrong. And you've sinned against your creator. And you deserve his punishment. And then clinging to his mercy. Clinging to his son. Trusting in the propitiation of Jesus. The sinfulness of Ahab really ought to show us the sinfulness of our own hearts. And the penalty that we all deserve apart from God's mercy. This is what we will all receive apart from repentance and faith. Apart from the work of Christ applied to us and received by faith. But this story also points us to Jesus, who is the only hope, who is the Savior of sinners, the the fullness of God's mercy, our propitiation. And so, friends, turn from your sin and trust in him. And I want you to hear the words of 1 John 4, 9 through 10 once again tonight. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Look to him. Trust in Jesus as the propitiation for your sin. Know that sin will never satisfy And it will be punished unless you repent and cling to Christ who was punished for you. And so people of God, all of you here tonight, turn from your sin in true sorrow and true repentance and look to Jesus. Believe in him as your salvation, as the one who took your penalty. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you love us enough to show us the sinfulness of our hearts, that you've loved us enough to send your Son to be manifest among us, to give us life, to die for us, to take our penalty so that we might be right with you, so that we might have life and peace, so that we might have heaven instead of hell so that we might have reason to praise you and worship you forever and ever. Father, show us the sin in our heart and let us repent of it and turn away from it and cling to your mercy in Christ. We thank you now for this opportunity to see that visibly displayed, what Christ has done for us in the supper. And we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.